Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Revenue Growth Architects podcast. It's Chrissy here with Charlene Zander. And today we're going to be talking about everyone's hot topic, attribution. We talk about it a lot, but today we're going to be focusing on self-reported attribution and the case for doing it, like all the reasons why you should. I think there's a lot of probably reasons why people want to say why you shouldn't, but we're going to go through why you should think about including self-reported attribution into your data uh, set when looking at what is working and what's not. We thought it'd be a good topic because Charlie had just posted on LinkedIn about why he's a believer in self-reported attribution. Um, I think it kind of echoes to some of the feelings some of us have. And there's a lot of interesting comments and and rebuttals and, and all this type of thing to it. So it'd be good to kind of have a little debate around it, but talk about our reasons for doing it. So given that, Charlie, do you want to give any background around kind of like your post and, and your thoughts on it? And then Xander and I will tear you down. No, I'm just kidding. We'll talk <laughs> about it. <laughs> I'm scared. So the the background generally is that I've been pretty used to be pretty torn on on the benefits and I had a list of reasons why I wasn't you know jumping in over the last few years definitely changed my mind there's been a lot more talk on LinkedIn and other other places about the benefits as well and then just very much within our own practical experience for CS2 getting a lot of value out of it and it's been helping our own strategy and decision making so Maybe I'll start with why I didn't like it, and I'll get curious to get your two perspectives on some of these issues. So the first one I would always bring up is around recency bias, where people remember better stuff that happened to them more recently. So when you ask them, how do you hear about us, or a question along those lines on a form, then they're going to just choose whatever was their latest touch point. And so... It could be that they Googled you or they heard about you wherever, but it doesn't matter because you're going to over-index on whatever they're telling you there. And it's just purely going to be based on what was the latest touch point and not really on what was the most impactful. So maybe we dig into that one because I don't believe that anymore. And the reason I don't believe that anymore is because if you're really doing good marketing and you're engaging with your buyers and they're really being impacted in a positive way through that experience, they'll tell you. Imagine someone's listened to your podcast for three years and then they go, I don't know, someone talks about you in a community or they Google something and then they find you. Then they fill out the demo form. They're like, actually, you know what? Today's the day. I'm going to actually reach out and chat to them for whatever reason. They're not going to just say, oh, I Googled you. They're going to be like, oh, I've been listening to your podcast for years and that's, that's how I heard about you right? Like, do you believe that? Like, what do you two think? Do you think recency bias still has a, there's an issue there? Or do you agree with me that if you really are doing engaging marketing, people are going to tell you whether it was the most recent thing or not? I think that like you have to figure out is what are you really trying to capture there, right? Because they may have heard about you from a trade show five years ago, but they may not put that on the form. You're not really, though, trying to figure out what was the very first thing that we did with you because maybe it's not caught in our attribution model. You're trying to figure out how did we actually impact you. So the explanation that you gave there, I think, is really good. 
you're trying to figure out what was the impactful moment. Mm -hmm. What was the thing that spurned you to really take this seriously? And that may be I've been consuming your content totally unrelated and now I have a business problem. They're not going to write all of that, but they might tell you a piece of that. And I think that it's just useful to get that straight out of the mouth of somebody when they are at the time of being on the website saying, I'm interested enough to engage with you. I agree with that. I feel like self-report attribution is not trying to get you a first touch look. You know, it's just trying to give you a sense for what was the most impactful. And I feel like where companies are feeling like they're not getting enough like useful data out of it, I think probably like they're maybe not doing enough engaging marketing that the person can actually track that back to that specific thing. Like they maybe don't have a podcast that's engaging people. They maybe don't have co-partnering kind of content or they don't have a strong customer base maybe that are give you know, where they can get some word of mouth because I would always think back to that. But there have been cases where I literally just did the research myself, Googled them and found them. But then that is purely off of, okay, well then at least you're getting found on search, but you're not doing enough of those other marketing activities that are warranting them to be like, hey, this was the actual thing that really impacted me. So I still believe it. It's just they're not seeing what they want to see. That was the light bulb moment for me. So I heard and agreed with a lot of criticism, which was, okay, we're just getting, you know, just Google through our form. It's just like right. Google or whatever, and it isn't really anything different. We could have captured that because we saw using our multi-touch attribution model that we're getting a lot of people from organic search anyway. But mm -hmm. then I heard the counter argument to that, which was, you're just doing shitty marketing then. Because yeah. if you were doing really good marketing, engaging your buyers in a really strong way, other than just SEO, and I don't want to say SEO is crappy marketing. That's good marketing too. But if you were doing all these other forms of marketing, engaging in different ways, then they're going to tell you about it. They're not just going to put Google, right? Because mm -hmm. you've engaged with the brand. You like the brand. You're looking forward to having this conversation. There's something that triggered you and you're going to let them know. So we bought ClickUp. When did we buy ClickUp? Like a few years ago now. Two years right? ago. Yeah. I first heard about ClickUp from a not a billboard like a, a, an advertisement on a bus driving yeah. through san jose went by a bus and it was like kind of the one app to rule them all or i forget what it was it was like their branding around you mm -hmm. know that it can do everything and i was like oh wow okay yeah, that's kind of interesting check them out i googled them i then did some research and then i looked and found you know some comparison articles and looked into them and i saw okay this might be better than what we're using now and we ended up buying them. Now, if you looked at ClickUp's attribution, like if they've got Bizzle or something running and they're just looking at the web touch point, it's going to say I came from organic search. But actually, if they then had a self-reported attribution or like a how did you hear about us on the form when I converted, I would have put in the billboard or like the, the bus advertisement. If they don't have that, they have no idea that that actually worked. Putting that advert on that bus actually worked and drove revenue. And now we're like a customer for three years. So that's really the hole that it's trying to fill is giving you that information and stuff that's really hard to track. But if you're not doing stuff that's hard to track, like bus adverts and podcasts and communities and some stuff on social, then 
yeah, of course, everyone's just going to put Google, right? Because that's where most people are actually finding you. But if you're doing all of the other things that are hard to track, then you, you really should be trying to introduce this to try and understand if that's working or not. Otherwise, you, you're never going to know. I also think that it's going to change over time, right? So if you're an organization that's been around for a while and you start to get repeat buyers, they leave organizations, they come back. I always think of Sixth Sense for this. Like, I can't tell you how I heard of Sixth Sense because I've used them now in multiple organizations and all of this. And now it's something that I just really enjoy that I, I'm, I'm an advocate for. So if I was asked that question, it's going to be different than the very first time that I might have filled out a demo request form. And I think that that's also interesting. I think that's also yeah. useful information of how, how are we still relevant to you? Yeah. Yeah, that's, an, that's a, an interesting point. I remember when we had an internal chat and someone on our team, Matt, brought this up and he was like, well, Salesforce, what are you going to put? How do I hear about you for Salesforce? I was like, that's, that's an interesting question. The answer is maybe then for some companies, to your point, Xander, it's going to look a bit different or maybe it's not going to be as, as useful. useful for like a mm -hmm. company that has just been around forever. Everyone already knows they might not need this. But for a lot of our clients, newer companies, startups, scale-ups, actually, are, you know, one day they weren't known by a large group of people and the next day they are because of all of these marketing activities. That is probably way more interesting to them. The other thing that I think for the startups or kind of the, the early stage companies, especially like the real startup startup, they don't have enough data anyway to make a, a big multi-touch attribution model statistically significant, right? So like you need enough data to like want to invest and look at all of these patterns and go, okay, this is actually what's impacting revenue. So a lot of times, you know, we hear from clients that are a lot smaller, they they can literally go through a lot of their opportunities and kind of like mark what where they came from. And a lot of their, them doing that is from like talking to the prospect. That's another form of self-reported attribution, like actually gathering it on a sales call. But for them, if they're also adding it to the form, that information is going to have a much bigger impact for that type of organization, knowing kind of like, okay, we only had 10, 20 opportunities this month you know, really where are they coming from? And we're actually, a lot of these people hadn't heard about us maybe three months ago. So how did they actually hear about us? So there's definitely an interesting conversation when it comes to the stage of the company. This might have to do with one of your other points that you had. So we can dive into that one. But I was thinking about this a lot too with the size of the company and where it can be valuable, especially with like building out actual or using an attribution tool can be quite expensive. I feel like self-report attribution would be like my first place to go, actually. And thinking about like CS2, that's what we do. Like we have self-report attribution on our form. It's super interesting. Like we literally had someone come through and be like, my kid was on your soccer team, you know, your other kid's soccer team. You would never see that, you know, but on top of it, she's like, oh, I saw you guys on LinkedIn. So you got two data points that had could never be tracked, but that person came through. And I feel like for a small business where you maybe like don't have the people, the data analysts or the budget to put in an attribution tool that's going to help you track all the things that are trackable. When you're in this testing phase of doing a lot of marketing that actually isn't even trackable, I would just say, OK, put in self-report attribution because a majority of the 
people that you're going to be coming through are likely going to come through a contact us form or you can get them through things like events and things like that as you're building your brand. But I feel like that's an easy kind of win as well to just give you that data without having to have all these operational big lifts to actually get you the (laughs) normal attribution data. Carly, I think that this was one of your points, but just Chrissy saying that kind of reminded me what we're talking about here when we start thinking about self-attribution is it's not putting this on every single form on your website. If you are getting content or a webinar introduction or things like that, like think this is your contact sales request to demo hand raiser type of forms where if you're adding this single field and it turns them away, they probably weren't overly conscious of filling out that form in the first place. So put it on something that's high value, that's more likely to get filled out. I think also for PLG too, because you're going down like a process where you're signing up. I feel like that's a really good end of sign up process thing to ask. So I feel like that's a really good place too. Great call. Yeah, to the to the the form side, hundred percent. Just on hand raiser forms. My issue in the past used to be it's adding friction. But if you are adding to only hand raiser forms, then and someone's bouncing because there's one more field, then they're not ready, right? If someone's coming to contact sales and it's like, I'm ready to buy. Oh, there's one extra field that I don't want to fill out. I'm not ready to buy. Then they're just going to waste your sales team's time anyway. Yeah, like and I, it's think, so, I think asking me why I'm all- interested. <laughs> they should want to tell you why they're interested. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think in marketing, we're kind of a little bit, especially when it comes to hand raises, we go a bit too far, you know? Yeah. Like, actually, if I'm running a business, like I think about CS2, I don't want everyone that comes to our site to fill out a contact us. I mean, I handle all of our sales. It would just completely waste all of my time. I only want people to come through the contact sales if they're really interested in working with us. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm, and I know we're a bit different than our clients. Maybe they want to get people a bit earlier so they can nurture them and kind of like convince them a bit more. But at the same time, if someone is bouncing just from this one extra field, then they're not a good prospect. They're just really not. Yeah. We, yeah. Should, we shouldn't worry about that. What are some of the other points, Charlie, that you had on there? It was kind of on there, but I think I want to elaborate on it. So the, the issue with not doing this, I think is really interesting to explore because often marketing, kind of what I was just talking about there, we have an obsession with landing page optimization. We also have, a, have an obsession with tracking things, right? And then often you lean into the doing the marketing that's e- most easily tracked. So if you think about social, for example, and a link- LinkedIn strategy, and actually most social platforms, mo- most social platforms don't want you to post links for people to leave the platform. So if you're thinking about your social strategy and going, we want to be able to get people to come to our website and fill out a form so we can capture their information from our social strategy because we want to be able to track it and see how many leads are we getting from you know, LinkedIn and how many leads are we getting from Facebook. And I'm talking about organic social strategy. You're doing that. That's not going to work that well because those posts aren't going to be promoted as much in those platforms. Even the people on LinkedIn don't want to have to click and like go off and fill out a form, right? right? So if you're leaning in and only going, okay, all I want to do is stuff that's easily tracked, then you're just not going to do that good of a job on social. But if you're posting good content natively in the platform, then you have the issue that it's really hard to track. You can get your 
quote unquote vanity metrics like you know views and likes and comments but you're not going to be able to see leads and revenue from that as clearly because most often those people are maybe they're engaging with your posts and then when they're ready to come to you they google you or come direct to your website and that's being tracked as direct or organic search because they're coming mm-hmm. through google to be able to get that connection you need to ask them like how do you hear about us if they, and if you're doing a really good job on linkedin for example they'll tell you LinkedIn, and now you have that data point to go, okay, our social strategy is working. Even if we don't have direct attribution using our software-based attribution tools, I can see XYZ amount of pipeline self-reported that they were engaging with us on LinkedIn. So it fills that gap, then it's important to fill that gap because what gets measured gets managed. And if you have that gap and you're not tracking it, then often your marketing team might not want to do the actual good marketing that's going to lead to results. Yeah, I agree, agree with that. Disagree? No, I I agree with that. I think it's good too. There's like more evangelism on that point being done to kind of inform marketers and hopefully CEOs and boards and things like that. Because I think we talk about a lot on this podcast, but there's been this over index, especially like driven by companies are just selling the tools to do it. But you can create, you know, report on ROI, like you can be so scientific and what's, you know, working from marketing and sales and stuff like that. And I'm not saying we throw out like our traditional forms of reporting. I'm just saying you need to realize there's a lot of things that like can't be tracked, but you still should should do them. So having a way to try and track that is a good option, you know, and it's like something that could be supplementary and I could think it could be really useful. I think really useful too now more than ever, because I think all the traditional trackable tactics that everyone was doing don't really work very much. People are really numb to them. People don't engage in that way. People don't buy tools in that manner anymore. And so like we're kind of now being forced to do that, let alone like issues around cookies and things like that. And can you actually track the buyer the way that you want to? And so being able to actually get that data from the source like Xander said, whether that's like on the form and maybe in addition on the sales call or telequalification call, because I feel like it also changes how you can sell to someone. Like if you know that like they were referred from an existing customer, that is a totally different conversation sale than someone's like, oh, I just Googled you guys and you showed up. You know, like one, I'm going to be way more bullish on the one who was a referral and engage them and also, hey, go thank the customer and you know, see what else that you can do to make those customers who are referring you maybe put a program around that. So, yeah. That that was a comment actually on the post. Someone mentioned about giving some context to sales. And uh, so I didn't actually have that on my post, but being our salesperson at CST, I use that all the time. And to exactly your point, depending on what people put in there, I might prep differently for the call. I'll come mm-hmm. in with maybe like a different energy to the call because okay, if someone's been referred by someone they work with, then you can kind of skip over some of the trying to convince them stuff that you might do with someone who maybe just Googled you. So it really does help. Uh, and yes, if you ask on a sales call, you might be able to find out that same information, but knowing it beforehand really does have some value because you can then go into that call prepared in a different way. Yeah. Or even we think, oh, an SDR is going to know who all your past customers are. Not a clue. <laughs> no, they're not memorizing that. And they're likely a new person anyway. So 
just being able to see like what Xander said, like, oh, are you a past client? That would be useful to know even through that process. So totally agree. What about the timing? We've kind of talked about it a little bit, but some people say, well, that's a part of the sales journey. That's the responsibility of an SDR. And I always go back to, it's hard enough to get all of the individual people within an organization to follow the process. So if we're adding a step saying, okay, we want to capture how they heard about us and we want it documented in a clean, concise way, and we want to make sure that it's not a telephone game, it's really hard to do. I think that it needs to be a part of the sales process, but to rely on it from a self-attribution perspective and like hope to build, build out reporting and optimization against it. I feel like just relying on the sales process and then the salesperson's like data capture mechanism is is very risky. What do you guys think? Agree. Yeah. 100% agree. I think one of the comments on my post was around asking them on the call would be better and then asking questions about the customer journey. Say I'm going to go buy, I don't know, Gong, and I go to their website and I want to hear about the product i've got loads of questions and they spend like 15 minutes asking me like how do you hear about us like what marketing do you like and take me through your customer journey i'm gonna be like wait this is all information only for you you're not doing anything for me here right you know you're not even asking me discovery questions around like my pain points and stuff to help you figure out if this is the right solution this is purely just like trying to get some marketing data on me completely wasting my time i get it maybe a little chit chat at the beginning oh how do you hear about us whatever but yeah Going really deep into it and no. kind of asking loads of questions, no. And that's kind of, your, no. I, I agree with your point, Xander. And then relying on sales to do that every single time, doing it in the right way, doing it without putting off the prospect. I mean, yes, I think we should encourage sales to do it, but we can't rely on them. I think having both. I hate it when LinkedIn turns into this binary, like this is the only way to do it or this is the only way to do it. It's like, no, it's like do both. Yeah. And also do software-based attribution and also have like your lead source stuff set up and have your final metrics. Like all of this is useful information that's going to help you understand what's working, what not, what's not working. They all have their pros and cons. Let's just be okay that you need to experiment with all of this stuff to get a good picture of what's going on. Like we're not trying to win a competition on what's the best attribution model here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. So I think that is that is about it. So... Thank you, everyone, for joining us on the Revenue Growth Architects podcast. If you have any issues with what we were talking about, if you have any feedback, if you have any questions, you can message us and we'll get back to you on that. And we're looking forward to seeing you on the next episode of the podcast. See you then.